Welcome to HeyYA, from great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording on July 1st, and hello, Erica. How are you? I'm doing well, Tirza. How are you on today, this day, July 1st? Sorry, July 1st. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I had this moment where I woke up this morning and I looked at my phone and I was like, dang, July 1st. Like, this year is halfway over. Halfway over. Yeah. So we're here. So we're here. It's great. And you have a new kitten. And that is exciting. I have a new kitten. And basically, I don't know if I told you, but the twenty June 25th was my birthday. So happy birthday. Thank you. I basically got a kitten for my birthday, which is like the best, which is not always advised. But for me, obviously, <laughs> it's always advised. Like, it's always good to give me a kitten. I mean, <laughs> it's I mean, probably not like a sustainable thing for no, like every single year definitely. on your birthday. But yeah. as far as it goes with like every now and then when you're an adult, you can just get a kitten for your birthday. I mean, and that sounds amazing. You know, we all have things to aspire to a kitten every year, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A kitten every year. <laughs> that that, that would be like my spouse's dream. Yeah. Oh my and I would be like, okay. <gasps> Tab and Maybe I a little intense. Besties. <laughs> yes. I don't we've never met each other, but I know from that statement that we would get along splendidly. <laughs> There's also this like that sounds like a cat island. There's this like cat island in Japan. <laughs> so uh, Yes. It's mostly it's literally just cats. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with this. I see no problems. Exactly. So, yes, we're here. We have kittens. You have kitten sagas. Now I have, I get to have kitten stories. So it's a good time. Yes. That's a good time. Yes. Just earlier this week, one of the kittens that was born underneath my porch, I, my partner and I caught. And um, this is like the difference between catching kittens that are like three months old versus catching kittens that are eight weeks old. Mm. Um, We took this kitten into our house and, you know, we separated it from our cats and and she was just chilling in her own little in our spare room with all like, you know, the cat stuff for her to, you know, just have tons of enrichment. And we would go in there and play with her. And within 24 hours, she was like, I love you. And she was just this lap kitten. And so she's so sweet. We definitely wanted to keep her. We definitely couldn't keep her. But we actually ended up giving her to another rioter Mm. who um, lives about three hours away from us. And and it just so happened that like we were driving in that direction. So I dropped off a kitten to Tracy. And so now Tracy from Book Riot has one of my kittens. And I just find that delightful. I think we have to officially change the name to Cat Riot. Kitten Riot. Kitten Riot. Kitten Riot. It's official. Yes. As of I'm 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 banging the gavel. Kitten Riot <laughs> from this point on. We'll just we'll just send a message to our bosses yeah. after we're done recording, letting them know that it is now Kitten just Riot. Just so you know, it's Kitten Riot. This is oh. what this is how we're we're doing going forward. Yes. So that's awesome. The little kitten is super cute. It's a little floofy calico. It's really stinking Oof. cute. I've been watching it, and it's so it's so adorable. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just so cute. So, ah, kitten times, kitten season, kitten yeah, kitten times. times. Yes, 
Awesome. Well, okay. I guess we do have to stop talking about kittens eventually. <laughs> I guess. I mean, for just only a brief moment. Okay, <laughs> talk about books. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have some news for us, which um, is fun because I think we're, well, okay. It is halfway through the year. So we like to kind of take a moment to pause and be like, what are some of the best or by best we mean like our favorite books that we've read this year um, so far. And so we've got some books that we want to share. And then we also have some other roundups and some award winners that we're going to shout mm-hmm. out. So we are going to hear from a sponsor first, and then we're going to come back and talk about books. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Publishing. So I got a story with a little Old West debauchery, if you want to get a little messy. So there is a city steeped in the Old West mess. And in the city, a reporter is following every lead to a dangerous place, one that could bring him glory and fame or end his life. New York Times bestselling author Robert Dugoni is back with a gripping new thriller of corruption, vice, and murder set in Depression-era Seattle. It's about a reporter covering a hot murder trial who soon learns nothing is what it seems. The story could make his career if he lives to write about it. You can learn more at Amazon.com slash A Killing on the Hill. So yes, A Killing on the Hill by Robert Dugoni is what you need to pick up if you are into some depression era danger in Seattle. It's a city of big dreams and dark ambitions. And this reporter gets caught up in the muck. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant rivals to lovers debut romance. Genie Nescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. All right, Erica, Mm. talk to us about the Locus Award winners. So the Locus Award winners were announced on June 25th. During a virtual award ceremony, everything's virtual these days, of course. And there is, they basically award science fiction, fantasy, horror, young adult, first novel, novella, novelette, and short story. Different things, different things. So one of the categories, as I just mentioned, is young adult novels. And so the winner of that category was Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders. And the other nominated books are just a great, like a really great roundup, of course. Like mm-hmm. the po- This Poison Heart by Kaylin Which Barron. I loved. Yes. Oh, my God. So good. The Infinity Courts by Akimi Don Bowman. I have not read that, but it looks good. The Gilded Ones, A Dark and Starless Forest, Redemptor, 
Why did I say that? Redemptor? Redemptor. We're going to go with Redemptor <laughs> <laughs> by Jordan Ifueco. And that, again, that's the, I've mentioned that a few times on this show. I haven't read that one yet, but the first one was bomb. So I know that one's going to be fire too. Chaos on Catnet. I actually have not heard of that. Um, I think it's part of a series and it has been winning a lot of awards, not just the Locus awards. And I feel like it's one of those ones that like it keeps winning awards, but it's not like super high profile. Yeah. But I do know that there are some rioters who've read the series and really liked it. I just haven't read it yet. But now this is probably another indication that we should. Yeah, definitely. Especially since it's, you know, Locus awards like science fiction and fantasy and all those speculative, wonderful things. So I'm sure I will really like it, probably. I mean, um, but that sounds good. That's Snake Falls to Earth, Terciel and Eleanor, and Iron Widow. Bomb, yes. fire, fire. Everything sounds amazing. Yeah, so those are all really good books. Like, I already yeah, know. Yeah, I, I feel bad that I've only read one, which is This Poison Heart. But mm-hmm. I, all of the, like, I have copies of many of these, like, literal physical copies in my house. So Same. I have to jump on that. Yeah, this is just a reminder to get on, get on those. Yeah. So, um, Yes, and those all came out last year. Um, They were awarded this year. So now we're going to talk about books that have come out this year. And I will state a caveat, as I normally do whenever we do kind of like a roundup of of like favorite books or best books of the year, which is that like these are very much like our favorites because – We are only two readers, and we are also speaking subjectively here to, like, what we like and what we think is awesome, and we can't read everything, even though we try to read everything and we aspire to read everything. Um, (laughs) We have to be realistic. So, you know, we're going to kind of cover a couple of best books of the year so far roundups, um, and then we're going to tell you what we think is awesome. And what I love about this is we both have, like, a collection of very different books. Yes. Which is exciting yes. because, yeah, like, I think we're going to get, like, a very nice cross-section of what we love. My section is, so. like, my books are, like, very similar, though. <laughs> so it's nice that you, like, <laughs> yes. have some, like, can't just, can't just be me because I'm, like, mine have a lot in common, kind of. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what you like. That's uh, yeah. not a bad thing. That's and, true. And as I was saying, too, like, before we started recording, I was having this moment where I was like, I've read a lot of YA books that I've loved this year. Mm-hmm. But I've also, like, and this happens to me every single year if I were to go back and look at, like, my last six years of, like, reading spreadsheets. I tend to read fewer, like, brand new releases in the first half of the year because I'm still catching up on, like, the last fall's releases. Yeah. So um, we are also going to be including some sequels and some things that are, like, you know, might have come out at the very end of 2021, but we actually read in 2022. But they're still, like, they've been out for under a year, so they're still considered new releases. So just, you know, don't don't get too technical on us and we're just going to have fun talking about books. Please, yes. We're trying our best. So one of the um, lists that we are going to talk about this time around is the um, Barnes & Noble. They have they put out their best books of the year so far in 2022. And it's like a very surprisingly short list, which I say surprisingly just because I feel like Barnes & Noble tends to be like, here are like the 50 best books. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a list of only 10. 
and they have only one YA book on the list, but I think it's one that you really liked. It's yes. Daughter of the Moon Goddess. Yes. So, yeah, and that one's on my my list. I have not read that one. And then this is one that is not YA, but I think might appeal to YA fans. It's Holly Black's debut, adult debut novel. Um, and it is about, it's called Book of Night. And it's about a um, 20-something young woman who has like grown up living this life of like somewhat benign cons and crime a scammer and she's kind of a yeah she's a scammer, scammer. she's a grifter yeah. but at the beginning of the book she's had like this very terrifying um encounter that makes her realize that like the life of crime maybe is not the safest <laughs> go figure and so she's trying to walk the straight and narrow path but of course she gets pulled in for one last job that ends up being like the most dangerous job of all I really like this book, and it reminded me a lot of Holly Black's Curse Worker series. If you really like her Curse Worker series, I think you'll really like Book of Night. And so even though it's not technically YA, I think it's one of those adult books that YA readers will enjoy. That's a good That's a good point to mention, especially because Holly Black has written a lot of YA, so yeah. it would make Tons sense. Tons of YA. Yeah, like seriously. Yeah. So that's a good. that's a good thing to point out. Our other little roundup that we wanted to mention was Goodreads members' top 72 books of the year. And basically how they came up with this list was that they looked at books that get added to people's wish lists and stuff the most, and then narrowed that down by books that are that have like 3.5 stars or more. And they categorized them by genre and also age category because there is a YA age category. And 72 is an interesting number, but yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, 72. It, I but mean, there are 12 YA books here. So that's, yeah. It's a good, it's a good uh, amount. Yeah. I feel like, and again, Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea. Mm, yes. Is, oh wait, no, I, I'm sorry. That's not the one that we just talked about. That I, it's I'm similar. terrible because it's so similar. Like the titles are kind of like longer. The the covers look the same. I did not mean to like get them confused, but that girl fell beneath the sea is one of them. But I think you have a lot of they have a lot of really good picks on this. Yeah, um, they're pretty good. List. And like a good sort of diverse um, selection of genre mm-hmm. as well. So Gotta yeah, have you read any? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, was, I was gonna say, <laughs> we're just like, <laughs> have you read any of these? Do you want to share some of them? We're just like, ah, books. <laughs> yeah, no, like just all books. I haven't, I haven't finished a girl who fell beneath the sea or a magic steeped in poison, but they are very much right up my alley. As you mentioned, um, daughter of the moon goddess is basically kind of very similar even like the how the covers look which is fitting because it's like you're trying to attract a certain audience i'm attracted to it i'm not it's me i'm the audience (laughs) it's me (laughs) it worked yeah no it works it works it's working it will work in the future i think uh daughter of the moon goddess already the sequel has already been announced and i've already seen a sequel for a magic steeped in poison um and i'm definitely gonna read those but I was interested in reading Anatomy by Dana Schwartz. I heard it wasn't like as fun as it seemed, which is basically kind of like a Frankenstein type of thing, but set yeah. in Scotland. 
I believe. The, the subtitle is, uh, so it's anatomy and the subtitle is a love story. Mm-hmm. And I was chatting with Liberty about it. And Liberty's like, for a book with the subtitle, a love story, yeah. it wasn't as romantic as what she was expecting. I would, I but, would assume that it would be romantic <laughs> with that subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm terrible. I have not read any of these books. No, you're um, I, pr- I promise you, I've read books this year. I just have not read any of these. However, I can tell you right now, I'm looking at this list. I have I Kissed Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuiston. Um, I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetis. A Magic Steeped in Poison by Judy Eilin. All My Rage by Sabah Tahir. She Gets the Girl by Rachel Lippincott and Allison Derrick. All those books are currently sitting on a shelf at, in my house. Mm-hmm. So I do have them like on my radar and I'm really excited to get to them. I just haven't gotten to them yet. So it will probably be in the second half of 2022, which is pretty much how things go with me. I feel like I'm always six months behind on a lot of buzzy new releases. Same. And I have a few of them myself. I literally have, I also have, I kiss Sarah, Shara. Oh, why did I, I thought that said Sarah this whole time. I kiss <laughs> Shara Wheeler. I literally have that like right next to me on my table. And I have a few other, a few others, um, like in a ebook format or something. So yeah. One thing that I, one book that I kind of wanted to point out, which is mm-hmm. on this list, and I'm curious to know your thoughts. Um, so Family of Liars by E. Lockhart, which is kind of the prequel companion to We Were Liars. I have not read that one. I It's interesting because there's not much that's been put out about what the book is actually about, other than oh. we know it's about the parents' generation. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll pick it up. Uh, I read We Were Liars when it came out, when it was super buzzy, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, the twist. Uh-huh. But I haven't heard from anybody who's read Family of Liars yet. So if that is you, write into the show and let us know what you think. Um, I'm very curious. Yeah. I am going to sound perhaps a little disappointing, but I have not read We Were Liars either. But I did hear a lot about it. Would you? I mean, well, yeah. I remember it being a super buzzy thing. Uh, well, you know, yeah. just I just remember it being super popular. So it is interesting. Um, I kind of had a similar thought of as you, as you just mentioned, which was that We Were Liars was super popular, and now this um, prequel that's come out is not. I don't see it really being mentioned anywhere. So oh. I have wondered about that. I haven't seen a lot of people who've read it, but I feel like it's getting a lot of hype. And I mean, I live in a very, very, very small town with no bookstore. Mm. And I like when I go into Walmart and I have to, you know, go buy calendar because ah, we have kittens. See, we work kittens back into this <laughs> work episode. Work them back in. It's important. I always walk past the book section to get to the cat litter and the cat food section. And there are like, I'm not even joking, like 30 yeah. copies of it sitting on the shelf, which is oh, an insane man. amount of, of copies of a single YA book to have in yeah. a small town Walmart. Um and so I'm like, okay, clearly it's getting like a lot of buzz, but yeah, I just haven't heard from somebody who's like actually read it. And I remember when We Were Liars came out, it felt like everybody was desperate to read it ASAP because it was very much billed as having this very big twist mm-hmm. and nobody wanted the twist spoiled for them. Spoiled. And not to sound insufferable, but I did see the, I guess the twist at page 34 and I was very proud of myself, but um, it was- As you should be. Yes. I always pat myself on the back when I figure out twists. 
I know. I figured it out and I was like, oh, this is it. And I was right. And I was, yeah. And then I was (laughs) smug for a very long time about it. But anywho. Um, So I, yeah, I just haven't heard the same level of like reader buzz, but I'm seeing like a lot of like promotion from the publisher and and I've seen a lot of placement all over. So yeah, I will have to see if I'm going to read that. I'm going to have to read the first one. Yeah, it's good. I mean, That's if you've good. never read it, it's an experience for sure. Mm. And it's like one of those, I mean, it's one of those YA books that like, you see gets popped up on lists like year after year after year of like, yeah, one of the true. most popular influential YA books of all time. And um, I, you know, I'd be curious to know if like teens are still picking it up at the rate that, you know, they were when it first came out. Just because, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. But um, I know I bet that they are, though, because it, I think it one of the reasons why Family of Liars now is so high profile is because We Were Liars was a huge TikTok sensation. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And then also like just seeing like this is a bit of an aside, but just seeing like the future of YA, especially as we've seen the influence that TikTok can have. And like, you know, TikTok is still this um, like... What am I trying to say? TikTok is still this technological thing and it has become wild, wildly trendy and stuff. But but it's like, just like with other apps and stuff, it may be subject or vulnerable to falling out of current favor. So it's I'm yeah. curious to see, you know what I mean? Like, it's hot now, obviously, and it doesn't show any sign of slowing down in popularity, but Facebook was popping for a minute. MySpace, lest we forget, existed once <laughs> Snapchat was a thing for a minute, Vine. So I'm just like, I only say that because TikTok has has greatly influenced like book sales, I think especially YA book sell, sales. So it'll be interesting to see how it either, one, like continues to influence book sales, or two... If it does, like, if people kind of get over it, we'll see. Yeah, well, and I think another, like, part of that whole puzzle piece, too, is um, just when you consider who reads YA, because I got some uh, materials from a publisher a couple weeks ago um, that was just kind of like, they did a little bit of industry study on the readers of YA, and what they discovered was that Oh, YA readers are 68% of them are adults and 32 are actually, you know, under 17, so 32%. So that is interesting. I mean, I, that doesn't surprise me. I think that, you know, because like when we just stop and think about ourselves, like yeah. Erica and I were both in our early 30s. Literally, yeah. YA was like coming, like really getting exciting when we were actual teenagers. So yeah. we've really just kind of spent our years reading YA and we still read YA now because we love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm kind of wondering, is it like, you know, are more people like us who are reading with a sense of nostalgia? So that's such a good point. That's such a good point. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I would even kind of say that extends to like, well, I guess I could talk about that later when I talk about manga, but it kind of extends to my uh, liking of like manga and anime. I think like part of it, I think is like I grew up with it. I grew up in a like kind of a a time where it was picking up steam and mm-hmm. there were some really good ones, but I wonder if I were just to start now ha- not having had that experience younger if I would like it as much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean those are some good questions. 
Who knows? Yeah. Um, anyhow. So we, yeah, somehow <laughs> we ended up from, or we started with like, best books of the year and mm-hmm. now we're like talking about who reads YA yeah. um but it's interesting stuff. this ride it is very just interesting. it is a wild ride <laughs> but we should probably move into what we've actually read this year and what we love and we can recommend for because sure because that's going to be exciting yes um so yeah um we're gonna probably go to a next sponsor and then we will be back This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you've probably never heard of. And bonus points because it's Finnish. And when's the last time you read a Finnish dystopian science fiction novel? Right. Okay. So in this one, humanity is destroying itself as a city's burn, which sounds kind of familiar. It is the time of the great affliction. In this terrible world, a new hope arises. The Happiness Program, which is the creation of a Finnish pharmaceutical genius, Dr. Laura Solomon. With happiness, pills, mind mapping, and microchips, Dr. Solomon intends to build a new world for the worthy few, which sounds like a perfect plan and nothing could go wrong, right? Right. So this is a raw but fun dystopian sci-fi adventure with an unusual premise describing what happens when technology rules humanity. Either you're chipped living inside the AR society or you're left outside to barely survive. Make sure to check out Unchipped by Taya DeVere. And thanks again to Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you probably never heard of for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Erica, you want to kick us off with your first pick? Yes, I read... A Thousand Steps in Tonight by Tracy Chi, and it was a lot of great fun. <sighs> I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but my my books are kind of similar. It's not on purpose, but it's just what I gravitate <laughs> towards. Like Tears of Said, I know what I like. Um, a lot of them are like, uh, like science fiction and fantasy. A lot of them are like Asian mythology based for some reason. I love it. I like it. I love it. Whatever. Here, I, I, I am who I am. Okay, so... A Thousand Steps in the Night is about a girl who lives in the past in Japan. Um, I don't think the year was really specified, but it's probably like, I don't know, 1800, something like that. And she lives in a quiet town with her dad. The town is kind of like dying a little bit because like there aren't too many. There's doesn't have a lot of business. No, There aren't too many travelers that come. Um, her dad is like this hotel runner, hotel runner. He runs a hotel. I can speak, I promise. So 
She is trying to just be basically uh, like a regular girl, eventually get married. But uh, of course, she's the main character. So she's not quite like a typical girl of the time. She's, I guess you could consider her mask a little masculine for the time, you know, different standards and stuff like that. I guess she is kind of a tomboy and her dad worries about her being taken care of later. You know, gender roles and all that. So one day she gets kissed by a demon and a touch of a demon will make you turn into a demon. So she starts to turn into this demon and um, it's it's a slow start. It's a slow turn, I should say. Basically, it consists of her like gaining certain powers. Like she can manipulate people by like telling them to do things. She has like, you know, this demon strength and speed. And her skin is starting to turn this like brilliant blue. Which I think kind of all of that sound. You say, well, I was like, well, that's like not super bad of a of a deal. But the real gag is. As a female demon, like there are other demons and stuff that exist. There are gods, demigods, beast creatures of all types of, you know, mythological beasts and creatures and demons and all that stuff. And what she sees when she steps into this like mythological world as she tries to figure out how to stop turning into a demon is that women, uh, the women of this world have a lot more agency and she feels so much freer being in this world as a woman than she does being in the human world as a woman. And she's like, well, hold up a second. Like, you know, this is not too bad. Like the female demons, you know, people listen to them. They respect their opinion. They're powerful, both figuratively and literally. And so it's like, like, does she want to give this freedom up? And um, also she meets a magpie spirit who is, he's a magpie. But he can also turn and he has like a boy form, like he can turn into a human. And he is, he likes to steal steal things because he's a magpie. And so he's a lot of fun when he's talking. He talks mess and stuff like that. They become friends on this journey. And um, yeah, I love, I love fantasy books with journeys. Um, I love it when they turn into demons for some reason. Like I love a story where the, you know, why the girl turns into a demon. I don't know. I just like that. Um. Elizabeth Lim has dabbled in that as well, which I appreciate. But it is very, like, feminist. It is very, like, you know, hoorah in that sense. It's a fun ride. So I recommend picking it up. Again, it's A Thousand Steps Into Night by Tracy Chi. Yes, I need to f- read that. I'm yes. excited. So I think you fun. were the one that, yeah, you were the one who initially like brought it onto my radar and I was like, this this sounds good. Uh-huh. So uh, thank you for that. One of my favorite reads that I read this year so far, and I absolutely love this book. It is The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School by Sonora Reyes. Um, I talked about this book, I'm pretty sure, on the All the Books podcast It is fantastic. So it is about a teenage girl named Yami who lives with her mom and her younger brother, Caesar. And her parents are still married, but her father was um, sadly deported a couple of years before this book starts. So even though they're still married and together, her mom really is basically acting as a single mom. And so now that they're in high school, Yami and Caesar 
are, you know, Yami seems to be doing okay on the surface, but her younger brother is getting into a lot of fights and her mom's really concerned about him. So she finds a way to send her two kids to Catholic school, which is, you know, this ritzy Catholic school that she can get scholarships to send them for. Um, she also, you know, is hoping that like the smaller setting and like the more parental over or not parental oversight, more oversight from teachers will mean that, um, her kids will just do a little bit better socially. Mm. And Mm -hmm. Yami's, you know, willing to follow her little brother to the school, even though she has a pretty big secret, which is that she knows that she's a lesbian. She's not out to anybody except for her former best friend whom she told. And then her former best friend immediately outed her. So that's not good. And so that's kind of where the book starts, where she's about to start Catholic school. And she decides that she's just going to play it straight. She's going to just, you know, really pretend that she is straight, that she is not going to date. And her goals are essentially to try and um, get a job and save money because, Tragically, she's dead certain that if her mom ever finds out that she's queer, she will be kicked out of the house. So she figures she has to have a safety net when that happens. Which, yeah, it's like really sad, but yeah, that's real. There, yeah, it's very real. There are a lot of teens, a lot of people in their early twenties who like that is that is like a reality that they have to prepare for. So of course, Yami's plans are somewhat thwarted or challenged when she starts school and she meets another girl named Bo. And Bo is really cool. And she is also like openly gay, very much proud. Her parents are supportive. And she goes to this Catholic school and she's also always challenging like the Catholic school teachings. And um, she oftentimes gets in trouble for it. But Yami has like a lot of respect for her. And she also really likes her. And so, of course, things get complicated because she insists, oh, no, I'm straight. And Mm. she's, you know, holding a major torture bow. There's also a lot of, like, friendship drama, family drama going on. Um, I do want to give content warnings um, for discussions of, like, depression and suicide ideation. There's nothing, you know, graphically depicted on the page, but, you know, that does, that is a topic that is explored in this book. Also, content warning for racism and for bullying. <sighs> and yeah, so like there, there's <laughs> all of that. Um, yeah. Because of course, you know, Yami and her brother are like the only Mexican indigenous mm-hmm. kids in their predominantly white Catholic schools. So there's a lot of BS that comes with that. Yeah. Um, a lot of microaggressions. I will say, though, that she does, you know, very quickly end up with like a really good group of friends who are very supportive and who aren't racist. You know what? But mm. um, yeah, there is all that. So I really just love the voice of this book. I thought it was really really well done. I also really appreciate that, you know, I think like 10 years ago, a lot of queer YA was like this in the sense that like, it was mostly about coming out and dealing with like family struggles and family issues and like also social issues. And it was really focused on like that coming out process. And it got to a point where like we as like YA readers were kind of like, that's all well and good, but we want more from our YA. So then our YA, queer YA started swinging in a different direction, which was really awesome and exciting. And I do love that. But I have to say, I am really glad that we have a book like this that is still, 
you know, about all of those like very real social and personal issues of like learning how to come out and how to talk Mm -hmm. to your family, but it felt very updated and modern. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's diverse because, you know, I think that a lot of Yami's ideas about like, you know, what she needs to do, who she needs to be, they are, of course, informed by her culture. And it's still very relevant. So I just I want to say like, as much as I love reading about you know, queer YA where the kids are completely accepted or like fantasy worlds where there's no homophobia and those books are absolutely important. Like these books are still important and I'm glad that we're seeing them because this is still the reality for many people. And unfortunately with, you know, just the way a lot of, um, you know, laws and policies are going in our country, I think, uh, like, it's going yeah. to be more important for kids to be able to read these stories. So, yeah, not to go off on a tangent, but no, The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School by Sonora Reyes. Totally awesome book. Totally good. I think that the author just did an amazing job, and I highly recommend it. I also have to say I love the title, and the cover is also yes. super cute. Love the title. I know. And I, you know, like... With marginalized identities, it's always, like, I feel like it's hard finding a balance between, like, talking about our trauma and talking, you know, like, working through that because it needs to be known because Mm -hmm. unless you experience it, then how would you know about it? You know, for people who are the majority in terms of, like, like, you know, orientation or ethnicity, religion, whatever. So it's important to talk about those things, but then it's also, like... You don't want it to be trauma focused. Like you need to, it's just a balance at the end of the day. So I'm, yeah, want to co-sign on that. I love that queer YA has gotten to a place where it's like balanced because it was like a, at a certain point. And even with, well, I can speak specifically for like, you know, books that are talking about like the black experience. I feel like at a certain point it was like just very trauma oriented if it was ever like historical fiction it was slavery it's like come on bro Mm -hmm. like we exist outside of that but it's still it's still good to have that but then other stuff it's just about a balance the thing is i feel like you know marginalized identities for a long time we haven't been able to be complex full people and now it's like we're seeing that it's like we have the trauma but we also have the joy and we have all these things in between so it's really cool to see i agree with that very strongly it sounds really good. That's on my list. <laughs> I'm sure I have an uh, I have like a galley of it somewhere. I have not gotten to it yet, but that is definitely on my list. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, yeah. So the next one I have to talk about is Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Sulin Tan. And surprise, surprise, this is another YA fantasy that <laughs> <laughs> deals in Asian mythology. Uh, specifically the mythology of the moon goddess and the autumn festival, I believe it's called. It's like Chinese mythology. Very cool. Very fun. And it basically follows Shang-Yi, who grew up in... She grew up on the moon with her mother. Oh. Yeah, very fancy, very bougie. She grew up on the moon with her mother, who is the moon goddess. I mean, a flex, if I've ever heard. So she, they're basically, it's, she grew up with her mom and her mom's assistant. And she had a very, like, sheltered life. Sheltered but lonely. And kind of, like, 
sad in a way. It seemed like she was happy at first because, you know, she's got these two women who she loves and they love her back. So she feels the love and affection from the two women in her life. But they're not just the two women in her life. They're basically like the only two people. So you can, as you can imagine, she's lonely. Um, and she, it's interesting, she sees like the mortals. Oh, I should say her mother's a moon, the moon goddess. So naturally her mother is immortal, as is she. So, and their assistant. So they see the mortals like offering these, um, well, offerings to her mother, the goddess from Earth. You know, they kind of look down on them. And it's like, that's all well and good, but it's it's a lonely existence. And she doesn't know who her father is. Her mother seems like distant at times. Like she's suffering from her own trauma. She's sad. And it's kind of like, it's like, yeah, she was safe and comfortable, but it's also kind of a bit of a sad, isolated experience. Well, one day... Shang-Yi, she, this is a little hard to describe, and this is going to touch on the magic system within the book, which I think is really cool. I always like to see how fantasy books, you know, structure their magic system. So this is fun. One day she reaches out to these lights, like mentally, like there are these like kind of like lights that she can see and her mother told her to, and I'm not even sure if lights are the right description. There are these things that she notices and her mother was like, stay away from those, don't talk to those things, don't interact with them, whatever. But curiosity gets the best of her and she like kind of mentally reaches out to touch them. And then that alerts the um, like most powerful immortal in the realm. It, it's, it shows it basically brings about this like shift in the balance of magic and other magic users can sense it. And they sense that it's coming from the moon. Mm. And so they're like, okay, so they, they show up the celestial empress or whatever. She shows up and she's, you know, decked out in like a Phoenix crown, some, you know, talent, you know, magical talons, the color of blood, all that extra good funky like she's murderous and powerful type stuff, right? She shows up and this is the first person that Shanghi has ever seen. Again, she's been living in isolation. Basically, the Empress is like, we heard that y'all were doing big things over here, but y'all aren't supposed to be doing that because Shanghi's mom, the moon goddess, is basically imprisoned there and she's not mm. supposed to be, you know, her magic is supposed to be weak. She's not supposed to be doing big things. So the Empress is like, so what do you got? What you got over here? You got somebody in the corner, in the closet? Like, what do you, under the rug? What's going on over here? There's an in, there was a shift in power. So what are you, what are you doing? Because her mother's punishment, her mother offended the gods. Her mother's punishment was banishment to the moon. But that meant escaping worse punishment. So if she's violating that, the conditions of her punishment, then that means that she will be punished even worse. So I should back up a little bit and say that before the Celestial Empress came, Shangi's mom was like, don't come out. You can't let them know you exist. Because if you do, we'll like, we're immortal, but we, you know, there are things worse than death. You can't <laughs> let them know. So basically, Shangi's existence, very existence is a problem. She can't let the Celestial Empress know. And what ends up happening, this is very early in the book, so it's hardly a spoiler. Shang-Yi reaching out to those things that her mom told her to stay away from, that was the power that alerted them. 
So it's Shangi's okay. power. Shangi is too powerful. And they're like, okay, so you messing up the balance of the power, whatever. What's going on over here, right? So Celestial Empress leaves and they're like, okay. So her mom was like, okay, you have to go because she's going to be watching us now. And if they discover that you exist, they might try to kill you, even though they're immortal. They're more powerful than me. So you have to go. So Shangi has to go on this quest. Obviously, she wants to free her mother and she has to hide her identity she has to learn how to use her power because, of course, she's going to try to free her mother with the power that she just learned that she had. She didn't even know she had the power. So she goes into the Celestial Kingdom where the, there are these mythical beasts. Um, she ends up working in this um, this house, like this, like a rich house, basically. She becomes an attendant to a lady. The lady's really nasty, really a piece of work. She ends up befriending the prince of the land she didn't know who he was she ends up like learning magic with him all these good things so this is basically inspired by the legend of shangi the chinese moon goddess as i mentioned before it's dealing with chinese mythology and it deals with i guess you could call it a court like a court fantasy for used to um reading about like historical court fiction or you know you know like court fantasy you're going to notice some things. You're going to be familiar with some elements. Um, it was great. It's fun. I loved it. It's a little long. It's like 500 pages. So there's a lot jam-packed into this. And I believe it is the first of a duology. I feel like it probably could even split in, be split into three books because it's jam-packed. But it's great fun. It's, yeah, it gives me all the things that I want in, a, in an adventurous, you know, Chinese mythological fantasy. So, awesome. again, Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Su Lin Tun. Pick it up. Get into it. <laughs> cool. Yes. All right. My next pick is Lulu and Milagro's Search for Clarity by Angela Velez. And this is another really fantastic contemporary novel. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it because the voice was just... Mm, it was excellent. So this is a dual point of view book about sisters Lulu and Milagro. They are, they, let's see, they are about to embark on this road trip and that will take them to a bunch of different universities across the country. It's part of a school trip. So Lulu and Milagro are not super happy that they're both on this trip together um, in part because they have very differing ideas of what they how they want to spend their spring break so also their mom is like super super Oprah protective and she is not um, a fan of them leaving Baltimore which is where they're from for college because they have an older sister who left for college. She went all the way to Iowa from Baltimore. And then they had this sort of blow up. They heard they know of this sort of blow up between her sis their sister and their mom. That has resulted in their mom becoming very, very overprotective and their sister not coming home. And nobody will talk and say what's going on. So that's kind of the backstory. Um, so Lulu is kind of like the overachiever. She really wants to go to Stanford. 
Um, she's afraid that her mom will not let her because of a said, you know, before all that family drama. And a Milagro is somebody who doesn't really think that college is for her. She is very into like beauty and fashion and um, her romantic relationships. And somewhere along the way, she's kind of absorbed this idea that she's not smart. She's superficial. Therefore, college isn't for her. So they embark on this road trip and along the way, they both discover things about each other and themselves. And Milagro especially starts to really realize that, you know, college isn't just being book smart and getting like really high grades, which oh, by the way, she happens to have. Um, It's about finding your passion. And maybe she can find that. Lulu also realizes that if she has any hope of getting her mom to agree to let her to go to Stanford. She has to know what happened between their mom and her oldest sister. So she sort of takes matters into her own hands. Um, It's a really great road trip novel um, set over the course of a single week. I loved the family dynamics. I loved the sister story. Again, I said the voice was fantastic. It really, really is. Both sisters have um, very distinct voices, Uh um, but yet they go together really well. So this is a dual point of view book. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Like, I think that having, like, pulling off really great contemporary YA with, like, a dual point of view, first of all, but also just, like, excellent voice and stakes and all of that good stuff, like, it can be kind of tricky to do. And I think that this book really knocks it out of the park. Like, I I loved it. So that is mm. Lulu and Milagro's Search for Clarity by Angela Velez. And it is wonderful. It's also a really great YA book if you want a YA book that is not solely focused on romance. I love that. That's on my that's on my list too. And it's like it's kind of got like a ro- like a road trip thing in there too, like a yeah road trip yeah. aspect, which is also lots fun. of road trip vibes yes. and misadventures and shenanigans. Yes, I don't know what it is about. I mean, I'm not the only one, but I do love a good road trip novel. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a few manga to mention, and I think I've mentioned a couple of them before in an extra credit episode, but I do have an extra one. So I won't get too deep into the ones that I have already talked about, but one of them is super popular. So if you know anything about manga or anything like that, you've heard of it. But basically, Demon Slayer by Koyoharu Gotoge and Jujutsu Kaisen by Gege Akutami. I started off watching the anime and I was mentioned, I mentioned this earlier about like anime and stuff because it's, it's, it can be kind of like a niche thing because I'm just going to keep it a buck. Can I keep it real? Sometimes there are some elements in anime that are just like, oh my God, like kind of a little cringy, but the overall story is really fun and you know. Everything has its moments. So I, you know, grew up watching it. I think my older brother got me into it and I maybe it was a way we bonded and I like that. And I spent a time where I wasn't reading it much just for whatever reason. So recently, especially with the pandemic, I started getting more into it. And these anime slash manga are the ones that kind of helped me have like a little manga slash anime reawakening. So... I will say Demon Slayer is about a 13-year-old boy living in 
1912, I believe, in Japan in the village. He's like a charcoal seller. He goes out one day and he comes back to his family massacred. And his sister has been turned into a demon, his little sister. And so a demon slayer, you know, basically self-explanatory, a demon slayer comes to kill her because that's how they handle demons. They don't negotiate. It's, it's on site, as the kids say. And that's because demons eat people. So, you know, naturally. Um, but Tanjiro begs him to let her live. And the demon slayer sees that she, Nezuko, that is. Nezuko is actually protective of Tanjiro as her older brother. And that's not a thing he's ever seen with demons. Usually they kind of live, lose all sense of their humanity. So he's like, maybe this case is different. So the demon slayer says, well, if you train to become a demon slayer, I will spare your sister. So Tanjiro sets out to do just that. One thing that I really like about, again, Asian mythology, there's Buddhism in there. There's a lot of like Japanese culture. It's really interesting, really cool. One thing I like about it too, though, is I don't get to see a lot from that era. I believe it was called the Taisho era. I, I like never see anything from 19, early 1900s Japan. So it's a, it's a really interesting mix of like traditional old school things. Cause like Tanjiro and Nezuko came from like the village. So they're very much wearing like traditional clothing and stuff. They don't have electricity, but then they travel at times to more like advanced cities and there are cars and the main, <laughs> the main villain of the show slash manga uh, literally looks like Michael Jackson. So that's just, <laughs> yeah, it's very unexpected. I like that is Michael Jackson. You can't tell me that's Michael. That's not Michael Jackson. So people like who, who follow the show and read the manga and stuff, they're like, okay, so my, when Michael Jackson came, you know, so that's just a funny little tidbit. But getting into Demon Slayer, it's so good. Oh my God, it's so good and heartbreaking. I watched the first season like, literally like three times. And I was like, okay, I, I really want to know what happens next. So it got me basically Demon Slayer made me start reading manga again, because I like just had to know what happened next. So I read all of it. I inhaled it. So I read that this year. Then Jujutsu Kaisen is another one that's super popular, although not as popular as Demon Slayer. But it follows a high school boy who's um, I'm just gonna run through these really quickly, because we don't have as much time left. It follows a high school boy whose father grandfather, sorry, recently dies. And he just learns about these things called cursed spirits and cursed energy. They're kind of like demons, but they're not called that. And he basically finds out from this kid, this kid is searching for this cursed item. It's like a finger from a sorcerer that lived thousands of years ago. And um, these cursed spirits show up and they also eat people, everything just eating people. I don't know. So <laughs> they also eat people and they have to be done away with, like, you know, done away with or whatever. So Itadori, Yuji is his name. Itadori gets thrown into this world of jujutsu sorcerers who are people who harness cursed energy to dispel of cursed spirits. They all have various types of techniques and strengths and stuff. And it turns out Yuji is actually really strong. And at first it's like, well, obviously he's really strong. He's a main character. But there's something to his strength that is interesting that you find out later. So this is another one that got me reading manga. I inhaled it. And Demon Slayer, I think, concluded 
I might have concluded in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, but Jujutsu Kaisen is actually still ongoing. So um, new volumes and chapters are being released frequently. I'm pretty much up to date for this year. But yeah, so those are a couple that have been super uh, instrumental in for me, because again, as Tirza mentioned, this is a very personal, you know, list that we are talking about and discussing. Um, but for me, these have been ones that have gotten me back into reading manga again. So they have a special place in my heart this year, especially. So again, Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen. Awesome. I am so grateful that you read manga and you can share because I know that like a lot of people who listen to this podcast are always like, ah, I need help, you know, figuring out manga either for you know, the teens that they work with, or like if they are in public libraries. So thank you for that. I appreciate you and your manga expertise and knowledge because I have none. (laughs) That's fair. I just got back into it. I understand. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. I'm going to really quickly just run you through um, two like duology slash series that I have recently, um, you know, loved. And so um, one of my favorite books of last year was The Initial Insults by Mindy McGinnis. Um, and then the sequel, The Last Laugh, just came out this spring. I've read them both. Roughly, they are Edgar Allan Poe retellings set in a very rural Ohio town. Um, They are very gritty. Mm. They are very dark. The first book is, um, has a lot of Edgar Allan Poe, but is um, mainly a retelling of the cask of Amontillado. The sequel is um, a lot to do with the telltale heart and other lesser known Edgar Allan Poe elements get in there as well. Um, Just a heads up to anybody who wants to read these, they are, excellent, fantastic, morally gray characters, lots of really complicated and complex like backstories and plots and twists. They are also very dark. There's animal cruelty, Mm. there's poverty, there's bullying, there's um, drug use, um, violence. There's there's, um, a little bit of body horror in the second one. Um, So I read the first one and I was like, this is super intense. I inhaled it. I loved it. The second one, it gets even more intense and even more like just like you, but also I can't stop reading to figure out what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, so if you love dark YA, if you know somebody who wants more dark YA, Mindy McGinnis, she's your girl. Um, and this series is excellent. And now it's complete. It's just a duology. So I highly, highly recommend that. Um, and then I just, like, literally this month discovered Caroline O'Donoghue's um, All Our Hidden Gifts, which I thought was excellent. So it's um, an Irish series or Irish book. And it is about this girl who goes to Catholic school. Um, Catholic school is like a mini theme in my picks this, <laughs> um, this week. So yeah, yes, fun time. I love it. <laughs> um, so she, her name is Maeve and she goes to Catholic school and she's like in detention cleaning out this old closet in the basement and she discovers a deck of tarot cards and she's curious about it. So she starts to learn how to tell tarot and or read tarot decks and she starts this little side hustle reading to all of her classmates and they're all really into it and she's really good at it and she's not really sure why she's so good at it but then she discovers a card that should not be in the deck and it's kind of an eerie card and it's called the housekeeper Mm. and the housekeeper like as she's drawn on the card is really kind of a scary looking lady 
And she doesn't think anything of it too much other than just like taking the card out of the deck and and hiding it away until she gives a reading to her ex-best friend and her ex-best friend pulls the housekeeper. And then the next day she disappears. So yeah, it's it's not like, Right. And it's not like so much like a straight up mystery as it is like there's a very like there's the disappearance, there's magic, there's intrigue, there's sort of like a bit of Irish history that's thrown in there for good measure. And Maeve has to get to the bottom of like, who is the housekeeper and what does she want? And can she get her ex-friend back? All the while falling for her ex-friend's sibling, um, who is a great non-binary character. There's a wonderful romance between them. Um, so I really, really liked this book and I immediately went and I bought the sequel, um, which is, oh my gosh, how, why am I blinking on the title? Um, the Gifts That Bind Us. <laughs> I, I get them confused because it's like all our hidden gifts and the gifts that bind us. So that is a sequel. Yeah, they're similar sounding. Um, and it just came out. So um, yeah, those are really excellent. And that's what I have been loving uh, most so far this year. Although I've read a lot of great ones too. So yeah. I love that your theme was demons and mine was Catholic school. Like I feel like we have really two very differing, like it's, it's like we get the whole spectrum right there. <laughs> Well, and that is unfortunately all that we have time for today. Um, But thank you so much for tuning in. You can always leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love to know how we're doing. And, you know, it also helps others find us. So we appreciate that. Um, You can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com with your thoughts, your suggestions, your feedback, um, and even your book requests. And don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks again to today's sponsors for making this show possible. And thanks as always to our awesome audio editor, Jen Sink. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at, at Tears of Price. And how about you, Erica? I'm on Twitter at Erica underscore EZE underscore. Excellent. Well, we will be back soon. And until then, happy reading. Bye.